Good morning, church. You know, I never intended for me telling you that I love you every week, for that to be an every week kind of a thing. I just meant to do it when I really, you know, felt like it needed to be said. But I'll tell you, after the last year and a half that we've had, good luck ever getting me to stop saying <laughs> that I love you. You know, one of the, one of the things that I've, I've been blown away by as we've slowly been coming back and as we've all been coming back together, and by the way, if this is your first Sunday back in person, Welcome home, welcome home. Uh, but as we've been coming back, one of the things that's really blown me away is how much our kids have changed over the last year and a half. I mean, when all of this started, my wife was the second tallest person in our household. And that's not true anymore. Uh, and, and so some of our teenagers are almost unrecognizable how much they've changed over the last year and a half. Some of our toddlers were infants when all of this started, and some of our infants weren't even here when all of this started. So it is amazing to see everyone's growth. And that's, that's exactly what we're talking about in this series right now is growth and change over time. And I want you to do me a favor. I want you to, to think to yourself for just a minute about someone that you admire, someone that you admire. Maybe it's someone that's in your family. Maybe it's a, a friend. Maybe it's someone you knew a long time ago. Maybe it's someone that you've never met personally, but is, is a famous person that you really admire. Maybe it's a historical figure, someone who's been gone for a very long time, but someone that you admire. And think about why, why is it that you admire them? Is it because of who they are, their character, or is it more because of something that they've done, something they've accomplished, something at which they were incredibly successful? Who do you admire and why do you admire them? And then reflect on this that, that might seem very obvious, but none of those people, none of the people that, that we're thinking about right now, those people that we admire so much, none of them were born the person that we admire, right? None of them were born the person that we admire. Whoever it is that they became, whatever it is that they accomplished, none of them were born that person. They all had to become that person. They all had to grow into that person. They all had to develop those skills and abilities and accomplish the things that they accomplished. Whatever character traits they possessed, they weren't born that person. They had to grow into that person. And so as we reflect on becoming better spouses, as we reflect on becoming better parents, as we reflect on being better siblings, better neighbors, better aunts and uncles and grandparents, and being closer to the person that we want to be, then we have to realize that that requires growth. It requires change. It requires growing over time. And we've been talking about, over the last few weeks, some of the, the traits and characteristics and qualities, areas of our life where we need to grow. So we talked about adding to our faith virtue, growing in virtue. We talked about adding to our virtue knowledge, and so growing in knowledge. We talked about self-control, and we talked about steadfastness, and this morning we're going to talk about godliness. Now, I think godliness deserves a little bit of clarification around what do we mean by that? What, what does godliness really mean? Because the word itself, in English, the word godly it seems to mean that you, you should be like God, right? And that seems daunting. Like, how could I be like 
God, but that's actually not what the word means. We're going to talk about what does it mean, and then also how do we practice godliness? How do we grow in godliness? What does that mean, and what does that look like? So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, where we've been for several weeks now. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, Peter writes, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. To life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. Now the word godliness and again Peter talks about it here and says that his divine power has granted to us all things, not some things that pertain to life and godliness, but all things that pertain to life and godliness. Peter says everything that you need for life and everything that you need for godliness, or in other words, everything you need to live a godly life has been granted to us. You've got it. It's yours. In Christ Jesus, it is yours. Everything you need to live a godly life is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, again, what does godliness mean? Uh, the, The Greek word that we translate as godly or godliness, godliness is not being like God, but being devoted to God. Now, certainly, as we devote ourselves to God and we imitate some of the characteristics that God has, that certainly becomes a part of it. But really, godliness is not about trying to be like God. It's about trying to be devoted to God. So godliness is about, it's about reverence. It's about devotion. It's about piety. It's about loyalty. It's about fearing God. It's about being in awe of God. And as we think about Christian godliness, as we think about as followers of Jesus, what does it mean to be godly people, to be devoted to this God, this living God, this true God? Christian godliness is a life of recognizing and being drawn to Jesus's, as Peter puts it, glory and excellence. Isn't it? That's what we're being called to. That we are being called to his glory and excellence. That if you're going to live a godly life, your godliness is about recognizing, seeing, embracing, acknowledging, and being drawn to the glory and the excellence of God in Christ Jesus. Seeing and being drawn to and called to his glory and excellence. Now, Peter, who's writing this letter, knew something about Jesus' glory and excellence, didn't he? Peter had seen Jesus' glory and excellence. Do you remember? There was a time when Peter and James and John went with Jesus up onto a mountain. And they were up with Jesus on a mountain and something, something happened that would change their lives forever. And I'm sure from that moment on, they couldn't look at Jesus the same way because they were with Jesus when all of a sudden his clothes became as white. It it said that 
no launderer on earth could make them that white. The whitest thing they had ever seen. I'm sure so bright, so white, so glorious that they couldn't hardly look at it. And his face shone like the sun. And then all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah are right there with Jesus. And of course, Peter speaks up and says, hey, I should build some sort of tabernacle for all three of you. And then God speaks from heaven. And Peter and James and John hear the voice of God. That changed them forever. Listen to what Peter says in chapter 1, verse 16, as he describes this very thing, 2 Peter 1, 16 through 18. He said, we do, did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. And Peter is saying in this text that all of us, even those of us who weren't with him on that holy mountain. We didn't see the transfiguration. We didn't see Jesus ascend to the Father's right hand. We didn't, we didn't bear witness to those things with our eyes, but through the proclamation of the gospel, you and I have begun to see the glory and the excellence of Jesus. In fact, Peter, in 2 Peter 1, puts it this way, the morning star rises in your hearts. And that's, what, that's what's happening in us, isn't it? The morning star, the, the bright and morning star, Jesus is rising in our hearts and we are beginning to grasp his glory and excellence. We are being called to his glory and excellence. And if we're going to have homes, if you're going to have a home, if I'm going to have a home that is a godly home. It's not just about being moral. Being moral is good. We've talked about self-control and steadfastness. Those are good things. We talked about virtue. But if we're going to have godly homes, then our homes have to revolve around the glory and the excellence of Jesus. Does your home revolve around the glory and the excellence of Jesus? Because if we're honest... We tend, to, we tend to elevate other things to positions of prominence, to glory and excellence in our hearts, in our minds, and in our homes, don't we? What is seen as glory, glorious, what is seen as excellent in your home, what is magnified as glorious and excellent, is it Jesus or is it all of these other things? Because that's, that's really the heart of ungodliness, isn't it? If godliness is being called to and drawn to the glory and the excellence of Jesus, say, and he's so awesome, I just want to be where he is, and I want, to, I want to live as he calls me to live, and I want to be devoted to him, and I want every fiber of my being, and every word of my mouth, and every action of my hands, and every place my feet take me, my whole body, my whole life, my whole self, I want it devoted to Christ Jesus. If that's the heart of godliness, then the heart of ungodliness is devoting ourselves to other things in that way, isn't it? We tend to think about ungodliness as just immorality in general. 
But you could live a, a fairly moral life and be ungodly. Because what you see and embrace as glorious and excellent is some created thing. Something that might be good, it might be fine, but it's not glorious and it's not excellent. But yet in your mind and in your heart and in your home, you've exalted to that thing to a position of glory and excellence. And you've devoted yourself to that, to that thing, to that whatever, as if it was your God. And godliness is seeing that only he is glorious and excellent and devoting yourself to him in that way. Look back at 2 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 5. He says, for this very reason, for this very reason, because you have everything you need for life and godliness in him, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness. And then, of course, he's going to go on in the next few verses. He's going to use the word increase. Increase in verse 8. Increase in these qualities. That's the next slide. Increase in these qualities. So increase in godliness. And he's going to use in verse 10 the word practice. Practice these qualities. So increase in godliness and practice godliness. And then I love the word that Paul uses when he's writing to Timothy. And he says, train yourself for godliness. Practice godliness. Increase in godliness. Train yourself for godliness. In fact, the Greek word from which we get train or that we translate as train is the word from which we get gymnasium. Gymnasium, because that's what happens in a gymnasium, isn't it? You train yourself. You train yourself bodily. And Paul tells Timothy, train yourself. Go to the godly gym. Make your life one of training for godliness. So how do, we, how do we do that? How can we make our homes a godly gymnasium? A gymnasium, a place for training ourselves for godliness. Worship. Worship. Worship is not just for this building and this place and this time. This is the assembled worship. This is when we come together with other families and we worship together and we praise him together and we think about his glory and excellence together. But this should not be the only time this week that you and your family worship. Your home should be a place of worship. A place where you're thinking about and talking about and singing about and praying about the glory and the excellence of Jesus. Our home should be places where we are training ourselves for increasing in and practicing godliness. And that doesn't happen without worship. That doesn't happen without Bible study. That doesn't happen without prayer. And dare I say, that doesn't happen without fasting. This is why God's people have always fasted and prayed and studied and meditated on Scripture and worshipped so that they could train themselves for godliness. Because the, the entire rest of the week 
everything that you do, everywhere that you go, every time you turn on the radio or a podcast or television or social media or anything else, everything else is training you, you're practicing, you're increasing in devotion to all of these other things, right? Because every time you turn around, someone is telling you this is the greatest thing you've ever seen and you have to fully devote yourself to this. Or here's this big scary thing that you need to be afraid of and so if you're gonna be afraid of that, then you need to devote yourself to that. And everything is training you to be devoted to something else. And we have to be intentional about training ourselves for godliness about seeing and being devoted to the glory and the excellence of Christ Jesus. And that doesn't happen without prayer and Bible study and worship and meditation and fasting, not just here, but throughout the week in our homes. They should be gymnasiums of godliness. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, he says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And we haven't spent a whole lot of time over the last few weeks talking about the whole context of 2 Peter, but it's pretty simple. Peter wants to prevent Christians from falling, from falling away. And specifically, he's very concerned about false teachers who are causing them to fall away, to distract them from the glory and the excellence of Jesus and to get their focus on something else and lead them away from Jesus. And that threat, that reality, is just as much a reality today as it was in the first century, isn't it? There are false teachers everywhere we turn. There are voices everywhere we turn that are trying to distract us from the glory and the excellence of Jesus and get our attention on other things. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2, the very next chapter in verse 1. Peter says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction and many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. If your focus, if your eyes are not fixed on the glory and the excellence of Jesus then you are susceptible to these false teachings because someone's going to come along and say this, this, this is what life is all about. Believe this, accept this, embrace this, do this. There's going to be a million voices to get you to believe that this thing, whatever it is, is glorious and excellent. And Peter wants to inoculate them against this threat of false teaching by helping them to focus on and practice and increase in and train for godliness, fixing their eyes on Jesus. Isn't that what our whole theme this year has been all about? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Because these false teachers that are leading many astray into sensuality, into heresy, it's just as much a reality today as it was in the first century, if not more so. Look at chapter 2 and verse 19, 2 Peter 2, 19. 
He says, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption for whatever overcomes a person. And this reality is just as true today as it was then. They promise them what? Freedom. Freedom. And isn't that what false teachers always do? They promise you freedom. You will be free. If you just, if you just get rid of these rules, if you just get rid of these ideas, if you just get rid of this system, if you just get rid of this that's just hanging around your neck, then you will be free. Just follow your desires. Just follow your impulses. Just follow your heart. And then you will be free. Generation after generation, after generation after generation, we've been promised that, haven't we? We've been promised that, that if you do these things and you act on these impulses or you believe this and you just get rid of all the rules, then you will be free. But Peter says, no, they're just being enslaved. They're just enslaving themselves to their desires. They're just enslaving themselves because whatever overcomes you enslaves you. Whatever overcomes you, enslaves you. And Peter says, these false teachers will enslave you. To whatever you ascribe glory and excellence, that is the thing to which you belong, right? To whatever you ascribe glory and excellence, whatever you say that, that is worth living for, that is worth dying for, that is everything, that is so glorious and so wonderful and so excellent, then it has you and it is your master. And the only master who actually sets you free instead of enslaving you is Jesus. So we see his glory and his excellence. We ascribe to him glory and excellence. We devote ourselves to him. We worship him. We stand in awe of him. We follow him. We practice and increase in and train ourselves for godliness by seeing his glory and excellence. And this has to be true not just individually and collectively here, but collectively in our families. However big your home is, your household is, whether it's one or two or ten, however many people are in your home, to whatever degree you have influence in your home, we have to put his glory at the heart of our family's story. We have to put his glory at the heart of our family's story. You have to put his glory at the heart of your family's story. And that's the question this morning, isn't it? Is his glory at the heart of your family's story? Is his glory and his excellence at the heart of your family's story? Is that what you're being drawn to? Is that what you're being called to? Is that what you magnify? Is that what you exalt? Is that what you're devoted to? Or is it something else? Someone else's glory and excellence? Because whatever overcomes you, enslaves you. 
And if your devotion and your reverence and your service isn't towards Jesus and his glory and his excellence, it will be to something else. You're devoting yourself to something. Something is at the heart of your family's story. The question is, is it his glory? Is his glory at the heart of your family's story? And if it's not, it's time for it to become that. And so that's what we can think about as we go throughout this week. How can we make his glory the heart of our family's story? How can we put that at the very core of everything that we do, constantly reminding ourselves and our family, this is what we are all about. We are all about Jesus. We are all about his glory and his excellence. It is his glory and his excellence that are drawing us in, that are calling us. It is his glory and excellence to which we are devoting ourselves. It, of course, begins with baptism, doesn't it? It begins when we begin to see Jesus for who he is, his glory and his excellence. And we say, I want to be where he is. I want to do what he does. I want to follow him. I want to belong to him. I want him to be my master. I want to be overcome by him and by nothing else. I want to devote myself to him. It begins with baptism, but we need constant reminders to call us back, to draw us back. We need each other to encourage each other to put his glory at the heart of our story. So this morning, if you need to be baptized into Jesus or to recommit yourself to him, or you just need prayers or encouragement, we're here to help you any way we can as together we stand and sing this song.